You're listening to the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast, the place for the kick-ass woman who needs a kick in the ass. Your host, Jen Rosenbaum, is giving you the tools to shed shame and live the biggest life possible. So kick off your heels, get comfy, and get ready to be the boss of your life. All right, guys, brace yourself. I actually have a dude on the show today. You are the first guy on my podcast, Corey. No way. Yes. I did not know that. That's great. Yeah. It's an honor. (laughs) We have Corey Muscara here today. I love Corey. Corey, tell us who you are, please. And I can't wait for everyone to get to know you. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I did not know I had the privilege of being the first man. Uh, that's exciting. Um, yeah. So uh, for, for folks listening, my name is Corey Mascara. I, um, I based on Long Island. I run the Long Island Center for Mindfulness. Last few years, I've taught mindfulness-based leadership at Columbia University, and I teach positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, so my, my main interest in the world is uh, how we cultivate well-being, reduce suffering. Uh, and I would say the common denominator of my work is this interest in uh, mindfulness meditation. Amazing. And I'm sorry that I pronounced your last name wrong. I hate when people do that to me. Uh, it's all good. It's better than mascara. Mascara. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I first met you because my friend Stacy sent me an email one day that said, oh, uh, you know, this guy, Corey, is running this mindfulness retreat um, on Long Island. And I know you like that stuff. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, sure, whatever. All good. But I was really, um, you know, I'm really sensitive to people's energies. And I was just really blown away by um, your energy and not just that you're a positive person and you're great to be around because you are all those things, but you can tell when you're around somebody that has a different inner peace than most people have. And I really admire that about you. And this is why I, I, I kind of stalked Corey to come on the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I love that. And I, and can we talk about that a little bit? What drew you to that? I mean, is it the peacefulness? Is it the, um, you know, I don't want to put ideas in your head. So what drew you to want to study this and practice it by the way? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a really important point, the, the practice element, which we'll go into a bit. Um, but the, the piece that you described uh, that you, you say you saw in me, you might just be flattering me, but I appreciate that one. And um, some people, I'm working on a book right now, others might say that piece does not exist in the moment. Uh, but yeah, that, that was something that uh, has been cultivated uh, through this practice of, of meditation. And the thing that it drew me to to go deeper into that and to explore that was seeing that actually in in other people. Uh, I first got into meditation when I was in college, and I got in well for superficial reasons. I was trying to impress a girl. I had a hippie girlfriend. She was in a meditation. I wanted her to think I was cool, so I started meditating. Then she broke up with me, uh, and then I started taking it more seriously. And as I, I got into this world, it went from this basic thing of reducing my stress or improving focus to uh, really a a whole body of practices and theories for how to live well and how to cultivate a mind that can be deeply at peace and equanimous and balanced with a a world that is inherently chaotic. Uh, Even if we're in peaceful moments and we've objectively crafted a life around us that looks good, 
we still have to deal with the, the turmoil and the tensions of relationships and someone having one need and we have a different need and kids and traffic and just everything it means to have a mind and a body with thoughts and emotions and sensations. There's, there's no way to be a human being that is not going to throw at us some sort of chaos and uncertainty and potential pain. And as I was going deeper into this practice, I came across teachers on retreats that they embodied something that I had never seen before. It was this quality of peace that, that wasn't contingent upon or didn't seem like it was contingent upon external factors. Uh, and they had suffered a lot in their lives and they, their lives even weren't easy in, in that moment. Uh, but, but there was some sort of contentment that really attracted me. Uh, it was the most attractive thing I had ever seen. And I said, I don't know what that is, but, but I want that. And I can't see uh, anything more worth pursuing or cultivating. At least that was my mind at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, and so I got deeper into the practice and I realized these people are not superhuman. They've, they've developed this and anyone can develop this with the, the proper teachings and understanding of the practices. So you bring up such a good point that everybody can develop this. I think sometimes people, and maybe even people listening now are saying, oh, I don't know, my mind doesn't work that way, or I'm not sure I can do that. And I think that there's so many different ways of doing that, right? There's not just, okay, well, here's the answer. You have to meditate for X number of minutes a day, times as many times a week or whatever it might be. And for some people, it's not even meditation, you know? So how does somebody start discovering that? Somebody that's just starting on a spiritual path and a self-awareness path, how do they even begin to understand what they can do to make themselves feel better or find some peace? Right. Great question. I don't know if I have an answer, but, uh, and, and the reason I don't know if I have an answer is because everyone's going to have a different story and a different journey and a different access point to, whatever we might call this work or this path. And uh, I see so many people get to a similar place entering different doors um, into, into a similar room. So um, I, I think the common denominator uh, across anyone that is beginning this path is, is some form of self-awareness, some sort of checking in with oneself and asking how's it going? What's going on so far in my life? Am I where I want to be? And if I'm not, what feels off? If, am I blaming my external world? Have I done any sort of work to explore what's going on internally? What's going on in my mind? What's going on emotionally? Uh, that, the, asking those questions, um, and a, a very basic question I think people can start with is just the question of what is it like to be me? And you, you sit with that question, you know, go into a closet, turn off the light, light a candle or something and close your eyes and just ask yourself that question. What is it like to be me? And uh, ask it in the present, like in this moment and, and see what arises. Uh, for some, it might be, oh, it's nice. I, I'm actually quite content with my life in this moment and how things are. And for others, it might be a big wake-up call. Uh, it might be, you know, I've, I've never actually tuned into myself in that way. I've never actually checked in with myself in that way. Uh, and I actually hate what it's like to be me, or I'm terrified what it's like to be me, 
Or there's been so much pain associated with being me that I've just put up all of these walls that I hardly even know how to access that question of what it's like to be me because I'm so shut down for myself. Mm. That as a starting point um, can lead to can lead to whatever the path is from that point forward. Uh, so if, if we're taking the perspective that it's, it's not just meditation, but it, it could be yoga, it could be Tai Chi, it could be reading about personal development, it could be getting into Tony Robbins, whatever it might be, uh, first just checking in with who am I, what do I need, what am I looking for, becomes the platform for whatever will sprout from there. Mm, I think that's an amazing answer. And I, you, know, you brought up pain, and I wonder... Do you find that people often start this journey from a place of pain? Like, it does, is, it, is it a place where, like, the pain has to get so bad sometimes that people are like, okay, that brought me to the awareness? And I'm not just talking about, I'm not talking about physical pain, obviously. I'm talking about um, any sort of pain in their life or difficult moments. Do you find that often that spurs the journey? Yeah, it, it is. Uh, and it's kind of a nuanced answer. Uh, <sighs> when i when i was first getting into this i i would say that i i used to say i was someone that um i didn't get into this because of a pain i i would say i was kind of unique in my meditation journey and that i wasn't actually going deeper into it because of any great suffering but more i was i was interested in this practice uh i i would take that back i i still stand by it in the sense that there wasn't any deep trauma or tragedy that sparked this journey, which is often the case for many people on a spiritual path or even just a, a path toward understanding themselves. Um, but I, I, the reason I would take it back is that there was some sense that what I have right now is not quite what I want. And even if there was uh, this, and there was this aspiration for, like, there could be something more. The dissonance between where I was and where I thought I could be was actually a form of, of pain and discomfort. Mm. And I think anyone on the uh, path of personal development is on that path for some sort of pain, uh, uh, even if it's very small. Um, although many will say, no, I'm just interested in success and improvement mm. and development. Well, all, all of that's the reason you want success, the reason you want development, and the reason you want to get there is because there's some separation, some sort of gap between where you are right now and where you want to be. And in that gap is tension, stress, anxiety, frustration, depression, or even just a little bit of sadness. Mm. So I think the motivating factor in most cases uh, is going to be some form of pain. Mm-hmm. And what I do see, and this is kind of unfortunate, I, I haven't fully thought this out yet. So you're hearing my thoughts on this in real time. Um, but what I do see is the people that tend to be most committed to these journeys are the people that are coming from deeper pain because there's such a, a clarity in their mind of, I am not going back there. And once they get a glimpse of what a, a deeper freedom or peace can feel like, it's like, I am doing everything to protect this versus someone that maybe has had a relatively okay life and they start doing you know yoga or meditation and they feel a little bit more peaceful a little bit more happy and more connected they go oh this is good but if they stopped it's not like everything would fall apart again mm-hmm. and so that's where i think it's it's really important to get clear on why am i doing this in the first place is it just because i want to find a little bit more peace or a little less stress 
Or is there something really important in my life that this is serving, such as, you know, having two or three kids and I actually want to be there for their lives while they're growing up? You know, that's going to be something that will probably create an important impetus for the practice that maybe just reducing stress might not. Mm. So uh, it's why everyone's journey is also different and the motivation is going to be different. So it really resonates with me because prior, um, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, but it comes up again and again. So prior to be being, prior to my being sick, I was into yoga and meditation and spirituality, and I thought I was doing it all right, you know, by the book and the whole thing. And then, you know, I was diagnosed with cancer, and and all of the stuff that comes along with it happens, and then that ends, and all of a sudden you're like, who am I? You know, just like you said, who am I? And I have to say, it's personally, it's taken me a long time to really sort of get real with that to the point where um, even in just like the last week, I've really gone, you know, I lose my patience a lot with my kids. And I love to tell everybody how bad my kids are, right? My kids are, they drive me crazy and they, you know, I love them and they're cute and they're sweet and they're awesome, but man, they drive me nuts. And I mean, I have a middle schooler and you know my middle school well, because you, you've taught there, you know, and uh, it's intense and, you know, oh my gosh, and these middle schoolers. And and one day I just woke up and said, oh my God, stop blaming everybody else. Hmm. You know, you you are losing your cool because you're not taking care of yourself. It's not because your kids are driving you crazy. Kids are always going to drive you crazy. But if you have the tools to handle it and you have some patience with yourself and you have some awareness of what you're doing and you make good choices, you won't have to lash out at them and lose your patience. And it was like that pain, that pain point, you know, of, oh my God, I don't want them to remember me as that crazy mom who was just yelling about everything. Yes. And I have to tell you, I'm on day nine of not yelling at my children at all. Hey, congratulations. Kind of nice. And I'm not going back. Well, I can't say ever, but I'm not going back. Yeah. I mean, my daughter is only 13, so <laughs> we have a lot of time left. And, and let's actually, let's talk about that moment for, uh, for a moment because it's, I think that's important. Um, even just the assertion that like, I'm not going back. Sometimes that can set ourselves up for some future suffering and pain because, um, we might fall again and we might default to some sort of pattern. And then the, the cycle can come up of like, what's wrong with me? I said, I wasn't going to do this. Why can't I get this right? And, and I find myself in that trap as well. And, and one thing that has been liberating is just um, holding more space for my humanness. And in this moment, saying like, I, I feel really motivated with what I'm doing right now. I'm proud of myself for what I'm doing right now. And let me see if I can continue doing this. And, and if something goes off, trusting like, Ooh, that didn't feel good. That was painful. Okay. That's fine. How can we take care of this moment to nurture it uh, in a way that informs the next in the most positive way possible? And, and with all of that, I think it just, it's just expanding the container that holds our sense of what it means to be human and what it means to be ourselves so that we can cut ourselves a little bit of slack yeah. uh, in this journey. Yeah, but I think it's, day nine, awesome. Yes. I mean, yeah. listen, it's nine more days than it was last week. So. Yes. <laughs> um, I also think it's a matter of awareness and awareness and being present is something I've really struggled with 
myself personally. And I think a lot of people listening will resonate with that because I'm running multiple businesses and I have two children and I have a husband and I have a dog and I have me and I have to take care of me. And I, you know, I have to go to the gym and I have to go food shopping and I have to get the homework and I got to pay the tutor. And I got, you know, like there, it's like every day is like a rat race. Right. And so at the end of the day, you lay in bed and you're like, I'm so tired. I can't even worry about who I am. You know, I just want to sleep. Yeah. And then you wake up and, and you don't take a few minutes to go, well, what do I want from my day? And what am I grateful for? And what, you know, you just go, Oh my God, I got to pack lunches and I got to, you know, like, here we go again. And, um, I find it, we don't listen. Like we go through lives and we're not listening. And the universe is, is oftentimes pounding at our door saying, hello, I'm trying to tell you something. And I often think that when I got breast cancer, it was the universe going, okay, you're not listening. Now we're going to, we're going to throw a bomb. You know, like you got to listen, you got to slow down. You got to hear yourself. You're not living the life that you are meant to live in the way that you're meant to live it. So please just listen. So how do, does this, am I, I mean, I'm not an expert. Does this sound right? Does it sound like people are not listening? Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) So So how do we, how do we get more in tune with what, what is out there and what the universe is trying to tell us and what our, our gut is trying to tell us. How do we take that space when you're so crazy and busy and running around? There's not enough hours in the day. Yeah. Well, that's the million dollar question. Uh, and you know, this, this is where, uh, this is where something like the meditation practice does come in where maybe somebody might set aside a minute, three minutes, five minutes in the morning to, uh, and make it a priority to actually just uh, stop, sit down, lie down, whatever it might be, and just tune in. And it, it doesn't have to be a formal meditation. It doesn't have to be you know, just focusing on the breath. It could be all of those things, and there's plenty of guidance out there for it. Uh, but it, it might just be that question that I'll keep coming back to of, of what is it like to be me right now? And that might not seem like a radical question for folks, but that quality of, of tuning in, it will make sure that you're not shutting down to yourself. Mm-hmm. And by not shutting down to yourself, you subsequently won't be shutting down to the people in your life, the space around you, the relationships that are most important, uh, the environment, your communities. It's that, uh, that quote by Parker Palmer where he says, self-care is never selfish. Uh, anytime we take care of ourselves, we do it not just for ourselves, but the many others whose lives we aim to serve. When we prioritize self-care in that way, or checking in with ourselves in that way, uh, it it invariably impacts and supports everything else that's most important to us. So I think first, just making it a priority, because it's easy to not make it a priority. It's like, okay, yeah, I could do this stupid lie down and touch my belly thing for three minutes, like Corey said, or I could scroll through Instagram and that's actually a lot more fun and it's less scary and I don't have to feel my body. And, um, it's actually, but you know, it's funny you say it's fun. I find it that I do it when I need numbing. It's, uh, right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Like people are like, Oh, it's too much. The world's too much. I'm just going to go somewhere else. I'm just going to numb myself. And it, that's why I think it becomes an addiction. It's just like alcohol and drugs and anything else. It's yes. because, you know, we need it to distract the brain from what it's thinking or the overwhelm or what it might be. And I think that that's a lot of where that comes from. Totally. Yeah. I, I'm with you. Uh, and I, I go through stages of being on and off my cell phone in terms of like what the parameters are that I keep for myself uh, and got into a bad habit for a while of, of checking it when I first woke up 
as a way to wake up my mind a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oof, don't recommend that. Uh, but what I found is, is after a period of getting used to that, when I stopped trying to do it, it did feel like coming off of, of a drug or it, there were withdrawal symptoms. And my mind was just making all of these excuses for why I should go back on it. And, and then I was more energized when I did go back on it in the same way that a, a stimulant would do. Mm-hmm. Um, however, after like a chunk of time, maybe five to seven days, then my mind stopped craving it. And I actually started craving the silence more and the time apart from my device. Mm. So if people are feeling that early on of like taking this time for themselves doesn't feel right or doesn't feel nourishing and it actually feels uncomfortable, I would just ask you to, uh, to trust the process for a bit and at least give it a week or so before you can see uh, the merit and the goodness in that practice. It might just take some reorganizing of, of the brain. Yeah, I think that that's going to really resonate with people because a lot of my audience are entrepreneurs and like me, and I'm. This is how I run my business. I mean, my whole business is social media. Yeah. So it's like I have to be connected, and finding that balance is super difficult. And I just said to my husband yesterday, I said, "Okay, well now, you know, I haven't yelled for nine days or whatever it was, you know, eight days. So this week, I want to work on being more present. I want to work on you know my presence and being off my devices. And I, I'll be honest, I failed miserably yesterday because it just <laughs> happened to have been a busy day, and it, you know, it was." it was Monday and Mondays are crazy and, you know, and I just was like, wow, I failed today, but okay, tomorrow's a new day. And, you know, I'm going to have to just figure that out. But yeah, it's, it's one of the hardest things that I've done is really trying to disconnect in that way. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I, I love that you, how you were able to frame it. It was like, okay, day went like this. Let's try it again tomorrow. I think life is just a series of, setting expectations for ourselves, failing in one way or another to meet those expectations and, and having hope for what the next moment could look like. Yeah. Uh, and that's so true about that. That failure is like part of the mindset um, aspect of it is like, if you fail at it, instead of going, well, forget it, I can't do it. Right. You, know, you don't beat yourself up and then just go, all right, well, all right, I failed today. Tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like a little kid learning to to walk. If they take their first steps and fall down and go, oh well, damn, can't do that anymore. I think I'm just going to crawl the rest of my life. Right? They'd never turn into fully functioning humans. Yeah. Uh, however, there's a playfulness with that failure. They they fall down. They stand up again. Maybe they get three steps the next time. They fall again. They get four. Um, but but the the standing back up is there's joy in it. There's excitement in it. Uh, so I think if we could take that same perspective with ourselves, I mean, we really set ourselves up for success in that way. That's awesome. Um, and you know, that was one of the things, by the way, going backwards a little bit, when you, when I went to the retreat that you did, um, or the, I don't know what you would, would you call it a retreat? Three, uh, was that was just hour. my, yeah, my intro workshop. Yeah, right. Workshop. Yeah. That's the word I was looking yeah. for. Thank you. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, see the overwhelm, I start losing words. So the workshop that I went to, one of the things that you said was, you know, you don't have to meditate 30 minutes a day, meditate one minute, three minutes, five minutes. I still listen to the podcast that you, the, not the podcast, but the meditation recordings that you sent us that are sometimes just a five minute guided meditation. And it's so much more uh, accessible to me to find five minutes a day than it is to find two half an hour periods a day. And I feel good about it. Like, I don't just feel good because I do it. I feel accomplished. Like, wow, I made a promise to myself that I'm going to do something and I'm keeping it. And even that is like a a mind shift for me. Yes. And that's, that's one of 
my big motivations around prescribing one minute. Uh, if you set it too high of, of a half an hour, great if you can do that. But in my experience, people end up making it an all or nothing thing. Well, I can't do 30 minutes, so I'm not going to do my meditation today. And then they get frustrated that, well, here's another habit that I can't get right. And uh, it just creates more stress and more frustration. Commitment to one minute, very low barriers to entry. Uh, no one can argue themselves out of doing one minute. Do it on the toilet if you need to. And, and sometimes the one minute turns into more than one minute. But even if it's just one minute, that was your only commitment to yourself. And then you go, hey, cool. I did it. I meditated yeah. today. And uh, I think that's powerful for behavior change, but also just a sense of, all right, this is something that I'm developing. I often do it um, when I'm in the shower. I have my Apple Watch and they have like the Breathe. Do you, are you familiar with that? The Where breathe? it's like the yeah. little Breathe app and it like reminds you to breathe for a minute. And I find that sometimes when I just do that, when I just breathe for a minute, I'm like, wow, I just feel so much better. You know, know. the only reason I do it in the shower is because it's, it's, I want to say it's the only place my kids leave me alone, but that's not even true. <laughs> but it's usually the place that nobody bothers me. Yes. Um, and it's just, it's just my little, you know, safe space. So that's where I choose to do it. I often do it in bed before I get out of bed or I do it every night before I go to sleep. But sometimes I fall asleep in the middle. So, you know, I find if I do it in the shower, I'm standing, I'm, I'm aware of what's happening. I'm, I can breathe and I can, you know, be aware of the water. It's kind of like the, um, at your workshop, I don't want to give it away, but when you did the exercise about, you know, tasting the food and doing it one way and doing it another way. I'm not going to give it away because you guys (laughs) should take this workshop, but it's the same thing, like being aware of like the water and the temperature and the pressure and the, you know, being much more mindful about what's happening. It really changes my mind for the day. Yes, totally. Uh, The shower is a great place to do it. And even just the way you described it and that way of tuning in, you can hear the, the femininity in that. Uh, and and the um, that quality of of attunement and fluidity and um, and touching into sensation in that way, just for for the without needing to get anywhere with it, without needing to achieve anything, mm-hmm. without there being an objective, it's just purely touching into the human experience. Yeah. Um, and then, and that can be accessed across genders, of course, but it is connected to that feminine. Uh, quality that I think is, is lacking in a hyper-masculine culture. Yeah. Well, agreed. We can talk about that for another four hours. <laughs> sure. All right. So before we get, we go down that spiral, we're talking about meditating one minute, three minutes, five minutes a day. And if anybody out there is going, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. Can you please talk to them about what it's like to meditate for 14 plus hours a day? <laughs> and tell us about that experience. Cause you said you spent six months living in silence as a monk in Asia. And I am since I heard that at this workshop, now this is years ago already, I took the workshop. I cannot stop thinking about it yeah. <laughs> so many times. Tell me about, tell me something about this. People are going to want to know about this. I'm, I'm blown away. Yeah. Uh, what, so, inspired, what inspired you to do that? Let's, I mean, obviously you were into this, but like, that's a commitment, Corey. That's not like, oh, I'm going to meditate. This is like, I'm going to live in silence for six months. I know, I know. Now, keep in mind when I did it, no kids, no relationship. I was fresh out of college, uh, deferred all my student loans. Yeah, so, but by the way, this is when people go out and party and date and, and find their careers. Like just, just the fact that you in your mind went, nope, that's not what I want. I'm going to go this way. Is just, it speaks a lot to who you are. 
Yeah, well, thank you. Um, I also did my fair share of partying in college, so we could say maybe I crossed that off. Right. Okay. But, I'm not trying to make you sound like a loser. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, I just don't want to come across as a, as a saint. Um, I and I I don't even know if I could take the credit for the motivation to go there. I mean, it was my mind was ripe for it for whatever reason. My uh, experiences up until that point were such that this appealed to me going deeper in that way. I had done some of the party life and, and all of that was great and, and had a lot of good experiences in life up until that point. And yet I was looking for something deeper and something more. And, uh, I had, I also have a type A personality, uh, or just very passionate. And so when I found, when I came across these teachers that had this quality of peace, uh, I said, well, you know, how do I get that? And, and what's the quickest way to get it? And a lot of them were going on retreats. And I said, all right, cool. I want to go on a retreat. And I want it to be really intense. And uh, I could devote about six months to it. Where can I go? And, you know, in talking to them, they said, you know, go over to Burma, really good teachers over there. And you could just meditate all day long in silence. Mm-hmm. So um, that, the, that was the impetus. Uh, the real impetus was I wanted to see what's it like to cultivate a contentment that's not solely contingent upon external variables. I wanted to see if I could sever myself from the things that brought me comfort at that point in my life, a sense of identity, and then find some fulfillment uh, independent of that. And, um, and so I went and <laughs> had no idea how hard it was going to be. Almost left after about a week but made it through. And it's very intense. 14 hours a day, waking up at 3 a.m., going to bed around 10 p.m., a minimum of uh, maybe like five and a half hours of sleep each night, eating two meals a day at 5.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. So we're fasting much of the day. It's mosquitoes. It's hot. There's no air conditioning. The beds are so thin you could squeeze them between your fingers and feel the bone in your fingers. Uh, So there's a level of austerity to it um, that's very shocking to the system initially. And, and then by the end of that retreat, I had never felt more content, happy, and fulfilled in my entire life. And I wasn't talking to anyone. I was meditating 20 hours alone in my room in silence, getting bit by mosquitoes in the dark. And, and that's the happiest I'd ever been. So there's no, nothing really in science to support that that should be the case. But uh, to me, it, it through that level of training, of training my mind to find, to be at ease with what is here, regardless of what is here, uh, it led to the deepest peace possible. Now, there could be tons of pushbacks to this, which is like, well, Corey, you didn't have kids running around in the background and you didn't have to deal with traffic and work and a boss that sucks. Like, I get that. And so like coming back into the world was a whole other journey of, of how to integrate that was going to be my next question, my next yeah. question, because some, you know, I travel a lot for work and sometimes I find even I'll go away for three days and I come back. I'm like, it's like a shock to come back here and the mommy, mommy, mommy. And I, you know, it's like, how do you even, yeah, I'm just going to let you keep talking. Yeah. Answer I mean, yeah. It's just, so it was one thing to find peace in a monastic setting, which, which was very hard, but, but possible. And then it's another thing to find peace, um, in in the real world and 
I, I still remember coming home and, you know, sitting at the same dinner table I grew up with, with my family. And, you know, someone said something, I don't know if it was my father or whatever. And it just triggered some sort of pattern from when I was 12, year, 12 years old and my shoulders slouched and I got quiet and I like lost all this confidence. And I was like, holy cow, I, I did not have to deal with this when I was in silence. And so there were just real world triggers and dynamics that make this work much more difficult and complex. Mm. So that's where like, cutting yourself some slack is, is hugely important on whatever your journey is going to be toward growing into this, whatever it's wakefulness, presence, enlightenment, if you want to call it that. And for me, it's just seeing every moment as an opportunity to grow, to learn something about myself, um, and, and to see, can I make peace with this experience? Not necessarily, can I like it, but can I make peace with it? And when you take that perspective, then nothing is outside of your practice and nothing is outside of your journey. That moment of being frustrated that, you know, the 10th cycle in a row of, I was going to go to the gym, I went for 10 days and then I stopped. It's like, what is it like to be in that, that, that moment again of being frustrated with yourself? What does the mind do in that moment? What are the emotions that come up in that moment? All of that becomes like what we get to tune into and learn about and and work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I when you see life in that way as your best teacher uh, and life more happening for you than to you, then everything everything is a learning opportunity. Mm, I say that all the time about getting cancer that it happened for me, not to me. Yeah, still working on that one a little yeah. bit at times. Yeah, <laughs> um, sure. You know, but I but I I really truly believe that. I really am I'm starting to get to the point where I'm um, in gratitude for my suffering. And, you know, and even moments where I go, well, I really didn't even have it that bad. I mean, I had it pretty bad, but like, there's a lot worse out there, you know? And maybe I need to make sure that I I really tune into this as a gift because I don't need the universe to come knocking even louder. (laughs) You know, like that's, I got your message, you know? Um, And yeah, I think for me, Definitely that peace is something I'm still looking for and something that I think um, is so needed because for me, my mind can go very quickly to, well, what if the cancer comes back and what are you, and, and sick and sick and cancer and doctors and I'm worried and I have a cough and do I have lung cancer? And I'm, you know, it's like your mind can just, it, I find illness is the one thing I've been through a lot of things in my life, but illness in this way is the one thing that is just um, encompasses everything in your body. Mm. Um, and for me, I need this practice to stay, to say, you know what, that's tomorrow. Today is today. I'm not going to worry about yesterday. And I really need to stay present in the day. And that is so, it is so hard. And it's just, I find it so interesting that the whole study of how the brain innately goes to negative places and how you have to kind of bring it back and go, no, let's let's think positive and let's work on that and how much easier it is to go down the spiral than it is to get in touch and to take accountability for yourself. Because really, I think that that's a big piece of this, isn't it? Like, you know, to say, okay... I'm upset with the world. I, this guy cut me off and this banker messed up my deposit and this customer, you know, pissed me off today and whatever. But it's not about any of that. It's about your reactions to it and, and how you handle all of that and taking accountability for that. Yeah. yeah beautifully said. I don't know if I can say it better myself. Yeah. Uh, and, and even whether that's true or not, I think it's just a helpful perspective to take through life. And, and we could keep a balance with it, such as like, yeah, there might be some people that are, are 
really being dicks in our lives and they need to fix their stuff. Um, but if they're going to be there, how are we going to work with them? And instead of just blaming all of our suffering on them, what can we do internally? And it might mean like cutting that person out of our lives, but it also might mean, you know, how is this person triggering me? And, and what does my mind go into in terms of negative rumination every time I interact with this person? And, and when we can condition the mind in, in a more effective way, uh, then we, there's a, just a greater resilience to navigate the unending complexities of life. Because every time you, you fix one of those problems, it's just going to be another one right around the corner. So if our only solution for peace and happiness is to resolve every sort of issue that arises, we're just reinforcing this never-ending treadmill. And at some point, if we're actually interested in something more substantial, we have to do the work of what is it like to be okay not being okay. Mm. And I think that's the journey of a lifetime. And often we only get... Uh, awakened to it by some deep suffering that we can't experience, uh, can't get away from, like an illness or <laughs> having kids. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that this is uh, amazing. I could talk to you all day, Corey. It's just, it's fascinating to me. And I am, I really want to take one of your retreats. I'm, I'm, now that I'm not good, I'm better and I'm, I'm getting back into the swing of things. I definitely want to do that. And, and I want you to be able to tell everybody that's listening where they can find you so they can also do the same. Yeah. Uh, so for podcasts, since I'm not with people in person, I do have a way for people to get resources. So if people want some free guided meditations, um, all you have to do is, is text your email address to the number 631-337-8298. And you'll get an automated email with a bunch of the guided meditations that you were referencing and uh, all my upcoming programs if people are interested. And, and if you live on Long Island, we, um, we do have a weekly meditation group in Sable. You can find it on the website, limindfulness.com. And um, best places to stay in touch with me, mainly Instagram. Uh, you can shoot me a message there and I try and post stuff mindfulness related as well. Awesome. And um, we will post all the links, of course, in the show notes. I thank you so much for taking time. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, I appreciate you taking time with us today. I am sure you're going to get an amazing response. And I definitely hope our paths cross again soon. Thanks, Jen. Likewise. Best of luck with this. You're doing great work. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast. If you loved what you heard, be sure to leave a rating and review on iTunes so that more women can learn to live a badass life. To learn more about this movement, go to shamelesslyfeminine.com and join our Shamelessly Feminine Facebook group. Until next time, go out there and be the boss of your life.